This is Garrison Hardy with your Cross-Politic Daily News Brief for Tuesday, June 7th, 2022. Today, I want to start things off with a question. Did you know that more than 75% of those raised in evangelical, Presbyterian, and Reformed churches don't pursue any kind of Christian higher education? Surprising, isn't it? Well, our friends at Cornerstone Work and Worldview Institute are seeking to provide a new, exciting, and affordable option for Christians. Their mission is simple to build kingdom culture in the workplace by equipping their students in a Trinitarian worldview and vocational competencies. Their low-cost, full-time program offers integrative course modules, internships, and mentoring so their students can finish debt-free with vocational preparation, a robust faith, and financial potential to build a strong, godly family and homes rooted in their communities and churches long-term. Gotta love it. Visit their website at www.cornerstonework.org to find out more about enrolling. That's www.cornerstonework.org. And support those that support us. Now, let's get to Elon Musk. The first story today, uh, Elon, he's always in the news. Well, this time, it's because his lawyers have sent a letter to Twitter threatening to terminate the deal over inflated user data. I wonder why they could do that. Musk has accused Twitter of resisting and thwarting his inquiries about how many fake or bot accounts are currently on the Twitter platform. Musk has been trying to get this information since his acquisition process for the platform. Again, this is according to uh, the Post Millennial. Musk has reportedly called Twitter's unwillingness to provide the information a, quote, clear material breach to the terms of the agreement that is still under negotiation. As a result, Musk is reserving his right to not complete the transaction. In the letter to Twitter, Chief Legal Officer Vijaya Gad, Scadent Attorney Mike Ringler for Musk, said that, quote, Mr. Musk reserves all rights resulting therefrom, including his right not to consummate the transaction and his right to terminate the merger agreement. End quote. That's according to CNBC. He said further that Twitter must provide the information that is being requested and that the merger agreement requires it. Ringler disputed Twitter's claim that they are not responsible to give that data in order to close the deal. Quote, Mr. Musk is entitled to seek and Twitter is obligated to provide, Ringler wrote, information and data for inter alia, any reasonable business purpose related to the consummation of the transaction. At this point, he continued, Mr. Musk believes Twitter is transparently refusing to comply with its obligations under the merger agreement, which is causing further suspicion that the company is withholding the requested data due to concern for what Mr. Musk's own analytics of that data will uncover. You know, I wonder why they would be, you know, hiding this stuff. Maybe it has to do with some sort of election in our country. I don't know. In any case, uh, the letter submitted to the SEC posted that, quote, if Twitter is confident in its publicized spam estimates, Mr. Musk does not understand the company's reluctance to allow Mr. Musk to independently evaluate those estimates. As noted in our previous correspondence, Mr. Musk will, of course, comply with the restrictions provided under Section 6.4, including by ensuring that anyone reviewing the data is bound by a non-disclosure agreement, and Mr. Musk will not retain or otherwise use any competitively sensitive information if the transaction is not consummated, end quote. And uh, by the way, Twitter shares were down 5% on Monday morning trading. I wonder if that has anything to do with this. Musk has been adamant throughout the process that he needs to know how many of the accounts on Twitter are actual humans. There is speculation that if the number is higher than the Twitter execs have reported, Musk could negotiate a new buying price that is less 
than the $44 billion initially offered and agreed to. That makes sense to me. Musk and his team have been willing to do the calculations themselves. But Parag Argwal, a current CEO who took over after the founder Jack Dorsey left in the fall, said that for Musk to undertake this count, he would need access to information that is not currently public. Quick, while we burn it. (laughs) Now, let's shift our focus across the pond here. Boris Johnson survives, but is weakened by a no-confidence vote. Uh Uh-oh, Boris, come on. This is from the Washington Post. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson survived a cliffhanger vote of no confidence by his fellow Conservative Party lawmakers Monday evening, prevailing despite deep disgust over lockdown-breaking parties, understandable, at Downing Street, and broad discontent with his leadership, which one former ally branded a charade. Johnson won the party only secret balloting by 211 to 148, surpassing the simple majority of 180 votes he needed to remain in office. Though he held on to his job, the vote was remarkably close for a prime minister who helped the conservatives win in a landslide election back in 2019. His salvation may have been the lack of an obvious successor. What a compliment. There remains an active open rebellion from within the party, with many top voices now on the record saying the prime minister is unfit to serve. How Johnson proceeds with this domestic and foreign agenda is unclear, and it puts Britain's Western allies in Europe and the United States on notice that Johnson's authority has been undercut by his own doing. Though Johnson can now fight for another day, he is a wounded leader. He and the Conservatives will struggle to rebuild their brand in the face of soaring inflation and diminished public trust. Ah, That sounds familiar over here. Surviving a no-confidence vote under the current rules insulates Johnson from an additional party challenge for the year, But those rules can be changed. Looming over Monday's vote was the uh, recollection that Johnson's predecessor, Theresa May, beat a no-confidence challenge over her failed Brexit deal in 2018, only to be forced to resign the next year. When May faced her vote, 37% of her lawmakers voted against her. Johnson did worse, with 41% of his lawmakers voting against him. That bodes well. Calls for Johnson's resignation have been simmering for months, fueled by what many saw as Weasley responses to questions about Partygate and by local elections that were a disaster for conservatives. Almost as soon as Queen Elizabeth II's Platinum Jubilee celebrations ended, conservatives announced that the threshold of 54 no-confidence letters, equal to 15% of the party's lawmakers in Parliament, had been reached and would trigger a vote. So... Yikes. Boris, <laughs> having a rough go of it. Best of success to you. And now a word from one of our corporate partners, Classical Conversations. Classical Conversations supports homeschooling parents by cultivating the love of learning through a Christian worldview in fellowship with other families. They provide a classical Christ-centered curriculum, local like-minded communities across the United States and in several countries, uh, maybe in Britain. And we train parents who are striving to be great classical educators in the home. For more information and to get connected, please visit their website at classicalconversations.com. Again, that is classicalconversations.com, one of our corporate partners. Now, back to the Washington Post, and this time in the United States, according to the Washington Post, January 6th committee hearing is set to start this month. This after 11 months and more than 1,000 interviews, the House Committee investigating the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol by a pro-Trump mob, remember this is the Washington Post, not me, is ready to share what it knows it will do that in public hearings, some in prime time throughout this month. The first will be held this week, and here's what you need to know about those hearings. 
The first hearing will start Thursday, June 9th at 8 p.m. Eastern. The committee hasn't announced a formal schedule for the rest, but there could be as many as eight throughout June, with a final hearing in September, right before the November midterm elections. Ah, well, that's pretty strategic. The committee usually live streams its hearings, but most major TV news stations will be airing at least some of them, though they could go on for hours, and it's not yet clear whether news networks will stay with the entire hearing each time one is held. You, if you want, you can follow through the Washington Post as it'll have anchored coverage and analysis, although I'm not sure you want its analysis, beginning Thursday night on www.washingtonpost.com. The committee plans to detail their findings of what they say was a months-long Republican conspiracy to overthrow Joe Biden's legitimate election victory, led by President Donald Trump. The committee could even accuse Trump of committing a crime by intentionally trying to stop Congress's certification of Biden's win on January 6th. But Congress's power is limited. Ultimately, the Justice Department would have to decide whether to prosecute. Each hearing will have a theme. On Thursday, lawmakers are planning to introduce the public to what they've been up to for the last 11 months since Democrats in Congress voted to set up the investigatory committee. Only two Republicans, Reps Liz Cheney of Wyoming and Adam Kinzinger III, sit in on it, and there are no Trump allies on the committee. They will make an opening statement that offers an overview of the January 6th events, and I'm sure it won't be biased. Other hearings could focus on what Trump did or didn't do on January 6th, and how he and his allies tried to dismantle the electoral process in the weeks after the election day to keep him in power and how disinformation spreads. <laughs> I'm sure the Washington Post has nothing to do with that. And policy recommendations to prevent such an attack happening again. Another question the committee must grapple with is how to make the public care about the intricate details of an attack more than a year old. Oh, golly. In an interview with CBS that aired this weekend, Cheney, the top Republican on the committee, tried to spin things forward, saying that Trump has expressed no remorse for what happened, and that's worrisome for the next election. I'm sure it is. Hey, what about the Black Lives Matter riots? What about Antifa and their attacks? Nothing there? Was that beyond the scope of your research? Hmm. It's interesting. Now the topic I love. Sports, though I'm not pleased with this news, as the first trans cheerleader in the NFL to make their debut with the Carolina Panthers. His debut. Come on, Carolina. I lived there for six years, and this is how you rep... Unreal. The NFL has signed its first biological male who identifies as transgender to be part of the women's cheerleading squad for the Carolina Topcats. Justine Lindsay, I'm sure his name was Justin, announced the news that Lindsay would be joining the women's squad. Lindsay announced the news in March via Instagram with cats out of the bag. You are looking at the newest member of the Carolina Panthers Topcats cheerleaders as the first transgender female. Mm. Lindsay went on to say in that Instagram post, quote, I would like to thank the beautiful and talented dancers who supported me along the way, alumni, Top Cats family, and friends, for your love and support. And I'm sure their career had nothing to do with it. You know, if they didn't support you, they'd probably lose their spot. Anyways, I would not have gotten this moment in my life if it wasn't for the support. Also to my beautiful coach, she lists her username, you are a special being that I truly cherish. Thank you for taking the leap of faith on me to be a part of your legacy and so many others. Oh. What a rough legacy. This is a moment I will never forget, and I cannot wait to show you all the girl, all that this girl, <laughs> this girl in quotes, has to bring. Thank you, Top Cats, for a dream come true. And that's the end of her post. 
While NFL cheerleading squads had allowed men to join the roster starting in the late 90s, Lindsay will be the first biological male who identifies as female to join. According to BuzzFeed, the director of the Top Cat said that Lindsay had, not, had noted on her application that she was transgender, but her talent, not her history-making, is what landed her on the squad. Or, you know, maybe the fact that her biology helped her talent along the way is that no okay the top cats like most nfl cheerleading squads are a public facing part of the franchise and are featured at special events conferences and fundraisers quote i think more people need to see this Lindsay told buzzfeed it's not because i want recognition it's just to shed light on what's going on in the world end quote mm. Sam Ames, the director of advocacy and government affairs for the Trevor Project, responded to Lindsay's hiring by saying that, quote, LGBTQ youth report that seeing LGBTQ representation by celebrities and athletes made them feel good about being LGBTQ. Ugh, that's heartbreaking. And to you parents, you monsters that groomed them into that agenda, shame on you. This month, the NFL revealed a new LGBTQ plus logo to celebrate Pride Month, and Lindsay's hiring is in keeping with the company's goal to be more inclusive. This has been your CrossPolitik Daily News Brief. If you like the show, share it for me, as that really helps spread our content. If you want to sign up for our conference, early bird pricing is going on, folks. Head on over to flfnetwork.com slash Knoxville 2022 and come party with us in Tennessee. And as always, if you want to partner with CrossPolitik, you can email me at garrison at fightlaughfeast.com. For CrossPolitik News, I'm Garrison Hardy. Have a great day, and Lord bless. We'll see you next time.